I want to talk to you, obviously, today about Mother's Day. Uh, last year, we started a new, last year, last week, we started a new series called Misinterpret, and we looked at these different ways that we misinterpret the scripture. I just was able to post it last night. Those of you have been waiting for it online, I've just posted it, okay? And uh, so I thought we would divert a little bit. That's perfect. I thought we would divert a little and talk about Mother's Day. Uh, but we are going to look at some ways of looking at the scripture at the same time. Mother's Day is, when you really think about it, a bit of a difficult day to wrestle with. You know, usually what we do is we celebrate moms and we, you know, we take them out to eat or we'll, you know, prepare a meal or we'll, we'll give them a break We'll, we'll pamper them, we'll clean up the house. You know, it's this kind of idea for all of the rest of the people in the home that, you know, mom works hard all year round. She's, she doesn't get paid to do it. You know, she, she's there when you scrape your knee. She's the doctor. She's the psychologist. She's the... the uh, the cook, she's the, you know, she's all of these things and she wears all of these hats. And so we really need to, to pamper her and to let her know how much we love her and care for her and how special she is to us. And, and so that's good. That's all, all good. Uh, but my heart often goes out, uh, especially in church contexts, to, to uh, the many women who, who want to be married, want to have kids, and there just doesn't seem to be any marryable male around, you know, and they're kind of wondering, oh, yeah, I see all these mothers celebrated, and it just makes me even more frustrated, more discouraged. I often think of the, of the, the women who want to have children, and they're trying desperately to have kids, and maybe they're told that they can't. Or, or, you know, they, they just can't. And, you know, and sometimes it can be a little bit of a downer. And a lot of the ladies feel sort of like, well, I'm on the second tier. And the moms, they're on the first tier. And, you know, and it, so it can be a little bit of a, of a strange day in some ways. Uh, so I want to, to turn it a little bit uh, and to, to look at what the scripture would have to say uh, to us in in our 21st century culture, you know, tomorrow all the restaurants will be full, all the flower shops will be empty. I think tomorrow is like the day where it's the the biggest day of sales and deliveries of flowers in the whole city, probably in the whole country. I mean, it's just it's it's a big thing in that way. But I want to I want to turn it a little bit. Um, and how do we address this in 21st century life today? And I want to give you uh, what I'll call a Mother's Day challenge. So this would be, you know, a little more specifically geared to the moms. But I think everybody in the room, you're going to relate to this message uh, in some way. And I'm just going to pick two passages of scripture from a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a man named Timothy. Okay, and this is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is in the Bible's New Testament. And uh, just to give you a little bit of background as to what's going on here, Paul, most scholars say, is in a very, very nasty prison. Uh, it's not the first time he's been in prison. Uh, we see at the end of the book of Acts that he is probably headed there. 
uh, because he's going to face trial for causing such a disturbance in the city of Jerusalem. And the book of Acts ends with Paul being under house arrest, but able to operate somewhat freely in Rome. This letter here, 2 Timothy, would be way after that, a few years after, where Paul is probably facing his second imprisonment. We do not know this from the Bible, but we do know it from some ancient history that we can try and put the pieces of the puzzle together. The emperor at the time is probably Nero, uh, who's a very, very nasty emperor. He had set fire to the city of Rome in AD 64, and um, they say that he, he did this to try and wipe it clean so he could establish his own city and rebuild it his way. Uh, but he, he, people didn't believe that he wasn't guilty. They thought maybe he had set the fire. And so what he did was he blamed it on a bunch of Christians. And there's actually a piece of ancient literature that gives us some information about this. This would be after, even after that fire. And the Apostle Paul most probably in a Roman prison. Uh, back in those days when they put you in prison, it wasn't for the rest of your life. It was a temporary holding place uh, for you until you faced judgment. And in his case, it would end up being execution. Uh, tradition holds that he was executed in the year 68. So this is probably very close to the time that he's going to be put on trial for his life and uh, that his life will be taken. So you've got to look at it as a kind of a last uh, letter to this, this man, uh, Timothy, who we know a great deal about from the scripture, and we'll get into that as we go. So let me read to you a couple of passages here. This is the introduction to 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. By the way, there is a movie that came out this Easter uh, called Paul, Apostle of Christ, uh, that you might want to check out. I certainly will when it comes on video uh, that will have bits and pieces of what I'm telling you right now. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you, Timothy, in my prayers. This is his second letter to him. Timothy's the pastor, if you will, of the church in Ephesus. He is the protege, the disciple of Paul. He is Paul's student. He ends up being in some ways uh, on equal authority even with Paul as you survey his life through the pages of the New Testament. Uh, night and day, I constantly remember you, Timothy, in my prayers, recalling your tears. Look at the memory there. I remember you. I recall your tears. These would be tears of separation. Uh, could be referring to something in the book of Acts or even later where they saw each other for the last time. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, Timothy, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded, again, another memory, I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Um, uh, pastoring and Christian leadership as a vocation is an interesting thing. 
And Paul, this was his call in life. This was Timothy's call in life. And you, you put your, yourself in Paul's shoes his, his, as he's writing these words. His mind is filled with memories of Timothy. Uh, Paul senses that this could be the end of his life. And he, he uses these words. You know, I, I remember, I, I recall, uh, I'm reminded it was interesting being in, in Victoria this week, and I met a number of pastors uh, and other people that I had worked with over the years in, in my own ministry. And you know, you remember so many things, so many memories come to mind, you know, when you, when you do life together in, in leadership in the church. And uh, wow, it was just interesting meeting people and now they're grandparents, some of them, and I remember their kids when their kids were teenagers, and, and now they're grandparents. I said, well, how did that happen? That was fast. But, uh, you know, you, you count the years, and you realize, wow, you know, time passes, and you, you recall these moments, and you recall the, the, the times that you shared together, and this is kind of what Paul is doing with Timothy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. It lived in your, in your grandmother. It lived in your mother. We'll get into that in a moment, and I'm persuaded it now lives in you. For this reason, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And this is the verse that we know from the passage that many of us have probably memorized for the spirit, or for God did not give us the spirit of fear, or another translation, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. But he gives us power and love and self-discipline. And then in chapter 3, uh, another, another personal thing to Timothy. And this is uh, in the context of he's warning Timothy as to how to deal with his church in Ephesus, Ephesus, which had many, many problems. And he says, you, Timothy, however, you know all about my teaching my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, my sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch. Don't you remember, Timothy, in Iconium, in Lystra, which is probably where Timothy is from, the persecutions that I endured. You remember, Timothy, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers, Timothy, remember this, and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, remember, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And here's the verse that we all memorize. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. There's so many lessons in these two passages of Scripture for mothers, so many, but I will give you only three today in this Mother's Day challenge. Number one, pass to your children what is transferable. You say, what does that mean? Well, again, Mother's Day, we, we tend to celebrate the the uh, mom cared for us. She was always there for us. She, 
You know, she changed my little diapers. She wiped my little nose. She always prepared these amazing meals. She went to all the practices and all the things that I did. She was so supportive. And we think about the kind of the here and now and what moms do and what moms did and I guess what moms will do. And we celebrate those things. But those things are not necessarily transferable down the generations. Those are about the, the here and now. Uh, even uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about parents. And remember the images that we used, uh, that the scripture uses when it talks about mothers, some of the images anyway. Remember, we talked about mama bird. Any of you remember that? So you have the image, go to the next slide, you have the image of, uh, of, of uh, uh, Mama Bird, as it were, and God is pictured this way, and it's a metaphor. And he's saying, well, the same way that that Mama Bird shelters her chicks, as you see in this picture, and you, you remember we went through those references in the book of Ruth and the Psalms, and even something that Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I long to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, remember, and this, this idea of shelter. Well, in some ways, it's a temporary thing. It, it doesn't last uh, throughout the generations. That's Mama Bird. Remember Mama Eagle? And the beautiful image from, from Deuteronomy of the, go back, yeah, uh, of the, the eagle and how it trains, or at least the one that Moses saw, how it trains its young bird and kind of has to knock the bird out of the nest a little bit and flies underneath the bird as a bird is trying to flap his wings like this and panic and mom's underneath making sure that the bird has some confidence and then mom goes and lets the bird fly on its own. And this is the idea of training. Well, in some ways, it's a temporary thing. I mean, the bird learns to fly, and well, okay, that's good, but that's a temporary thing, not necessarily transferable down the generations. And then we talked about mama bear and how the bear defends its, its young, and that's really nice. And the, you know, the bear is very nice right there, but if you attack that cub, the bear is going to turn into... No, and you don't want to be in front of a bear when a bear is like that. And, you know, this idea in the, in the scripture in Hosea, it's actually, it's actually God defending his holiness to Israel. And Israel has blown it, and God is like the bear. Ah, like you it's like you took away a, a, a bear cub, you know. That's what you did when you started living unholy lives, at least in context there. Uh, but the image, again, is of mama bear that defends and... And, but in some ways, that's a temporary thing. In some ways, that's not necessarily transferable. But what Paul is talking about when he, when he looks at the life of Timothy is he noticed there was something that was transferred from, from Timothy's grandmother to, to Timothy's mother to Timothy and then even to others. If you go to the next slide, Joelle, in chapter 1 and verse 5, you just see it there. He says, I'm reminded of that sincere faith. And it, it first lived in your grandmother, Timothy. And, and then it lived in your mother. And, and now it lives in you. And I see how you spread it to other people. Moms, give something that is transferable down the generations to your kids. All the temporary stuff is all good, and you should, you should do the temporary stuff. You can't neglect all the temporary stuff, but it's temporary. Give something that will last for an eternity. 
Give something that is transferable, pass something transferable to others. And what is that something? The second point today, uh, he speaks of a sincere faith. Again, in verse 5, your sincere faith, it lived in your grandmother, it lived in your mother, and now it lives in you, Timothy. It's not just a faith that he's talking about, but he puts the word sincere in there. So pass to your children a sincere, and I'll use a, a modern word, an authentic faith to your children. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14, we read it before. He says to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. So it's an authentic faith for you, Timothy. You're convinced of it. You have a conviction because you know those from who you learned it. He learned it from his mother and from his grandmother. And you know those people. You know those people had an authentic faith and yours is authentic and yours is based on conviction. So Timothy, my son, and he's not talking about his biological son there. He means his son in the faith. He's like a spiritual father to Timothy. He says, you continue in that because it's based on authenticity and it's based on conviction. Let me tell you something, moms and, and, and even dads in the room. Children want to see if your faith is real. They want to see if it is authentic and if it makes any difference to you in your life. And the thing about kids, your kids, my kid, is they have a heightened sense of hypocrisy detection. The older they get, the more tuned they are to detecting hypocrisy. And they watch us. They watch us very carefully, and they're looking for truth. They're looking for authenticity in what we claim to believe. And you know what they often see these days is, well, you know, we, 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 in, the, in the church setting, everything looks glorious, right? We all look so nice. We all look so friendly. We all look so happy. Praise the Lord this and praise the Lord that and God this and God that. And then as soon as we get in the car, <laughs> everything seems to change 180 degrees. How come mom and dad, when we get in the car and go to church in the morning, we're screaming and you're screaming and yelling at each other. And as soon as you get in the whole church thing, it's like you switch 180 degrees and a different face comes on. Why is there a persona amongst the people that does not seem to exist when you're not amongst the people? Why, mom and dad, do you do this and do this and do this, and yet you criticize everybody else who does the same thing as you? And that what they have is a heightened sense of the hypocrisy detection. They're looking for truth. And the generation of young people today, what they call Generation Z now, young people today, listen to me carefully, parents and moms especially, what they're looking for is authenticity. They could care less about the show, the, you know, the, even in the church experience. Listen, if they want a good show, they can go to a rock concert. 
They don't even have to go these days. They can put their little earphones on and open their phones, and they can get an amazing multimedia experience. They don't care about the bells and the whistles and the lights and the smoke machines and all the wonderful production. That stuff is all good. But that, what they're looking for is an authentic, real, genuine faith that makes a difference in your life. And if they see that in you, moms, they will want it. They will copy it. They will get hungry for it. They will imitate it because they see that it's making a difference in your life. It's not a persona that you put on and put off when convenient. It is something that generates transformation in your life and they see it and they hear it, and they touch it, and they smell it, and they taste it, and they can see that it's working in your life. So you need to have, moms, an authentic, real, genuine experience with the Lord Jesus Christ that makes a difference in your life. And when you have that, you watch, you, see, you, you will see your kids will instinctively begin to follow it and begin to want it. They say today that the age in which People make decisions for Christ is lower now than it's ever been before. So, the, and the statistics tell us, I think the age is seven or eight. My wife, Janet, knows the, knows the, the number. I think it's seven or eight. If, they, if people do not make a decision for Jesus at around that age, the odds of them making a decision for Jesus goes way, way down the older that they get from there. They'll make a decision for Christ at a very, very young age, even younger than seven or eight. But they have to see a reason why, and they have to see authenticity. And Paul says, I saw it in you, and I know that it lived in your mother, and I know that it lived in your grandmother. These two people, uh, Lois and Eunice, probably came to Christ at the same time. We see from the background of Timothy's life some very, very interesting clues. And here's the Bible study part for you. Uh, nowadays, when you, when you want to learn something about perhaps this, this man, Timothy, we have wonderful, wonderful tools at our disposal to help us to understand. Uh, I still use the old-fashioned way uh, there's, a, there's a tool out there called a concordance. Any of you ever heard of a concordance before? I'm going to give away some pastor's secrets here, okay? So a concordance is like a, it, it, back in the day when they used to print them. I don't think they print them much anymore. But they're big, big books. They're bigger than a phone book. Any of you actually have a concordance at home, like a real one? I mean, uh, online is real as well, but I mean like an old printed one. So a con with a concordance, what you can do, it's like an index of the Bible. So you can look up any word and you can see where it is and you can, it'll help you find things. So if I say, man, this, this Timothy, who is he? I want to learn more about him. Well, what I'll do is I'll take my trusty old concordance and I'll look up Timothy and I'll look up every reference to Timothy. Tell me about him. Where is he found? Where can I find him? What can I read about him? What kind of sketch can I put together of this man's life? In many cases in the New Testament, your sketch is going to be very sketchy. You're not going to learn a lot about some of these folks that are mentioned. But in the case of Timothy, there's a great deal of information when we first run into Timothy, by the way, uh, concordances, you don't have to buy anymore. You can get them online for free. 
when I was in British Columbia, they had the, the, the chap from uh, Logos Bible Software advertising this magnificent Bible software uh, that they make for pastors and teachers. So expensive, between $500 and $2,000 for the ultra deluxe Ferrari version, you know, that'll do away with all of the books on your shelf and you can just create things instantaneously and you're, you're a genius, a scholar instantaneously if you spend all of this money on all of this software. I still do things the old-fashioned way with books and pieces of paper uh, lying around all over my house. Uh, but if you look up the first appearance of Timothy in the book of Acts, fascinating story. I've never heard anyone dare to preach on this text. Acts 16 verses 1 to 5, and you see the radically authentic faith of Timothy, who is a young adult at the time, young adult male, obviously. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Wow. So his mother is a, a, a you know, believer in Jehovah, but his father is a Gentile. We learn, of course, his mother's name when we read Timothy's letter. His mother's name is Eunice. The grandmother isn't mentioned there, but uh, we learn that later. So we know right away Timothy's got a believing mother, but an unbelieving father. Fascinating. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. He already has a reputation in a couple of provinces. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, and so he... he you reading in your Bible? You see what he did to Timothy, young adult male? He did what? He's, it says he circumcised him. So, so, you know, the men in the room, you probably know what I'm talking about. He circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they knew that his father was a Greek. So Paul said, okay, I want to take this young man on my journeys with me. He's got tremendous potential. He already has a reputation. He, he's a disciple. Uh, his, his mother is Jewish and is a believer, but his father is not. And I see a spark in his eyes, and I want to take him with me, and I want to teach him what I know. And he's young, and he's got potential and all of this. But because of his parents, because one's a Gentile, one's a Jew, and I've got to deal with all these Jewish people who, uh, you know, this whole rite and ritual of circumcision is a big deal to them, I'm going to do it on him. And uh, Timothy acquiesces. Wow. So he'll do whatever it takes, even have surgery. No, no, no local anesthetic was, was used back then. And, you know, he's not a little baby. Normally, they circumcise Hebrew boys on the eighth day of their life. Well, this is, he's probably 18 years old. And he says, fine, I'll do whatever it takes to reach people. I'll do whatever it takes to learn, fine, get it over with Paul. And uh, so he circumcises him, verse 4, and they traveled from town to town they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles. You can read about that in Acts 15 and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. It takes a radically authentic faith to do what that young man did. 
but he, he, was, uh, he was everything that Paul saw and thought that he was. He had a radically authentic faith. And moms, your kid can have a radically authentic faith as well, but they need to see it in you. They need to see something real. If smoke and mirrors won't do it anymore. They need to see authenticity. They need to see truth. Their lie detectors are at a heightened sense uh, and, and sensitivity, especially to you, because they live with you and moms and dads uh, all day long. So they get a chance to watch you. You know, we talk about being an evangelist and being a witness uh, out in the world. Well, some of us forget to do the same thing right in our homes. Uh, and lesson number three, pass to your children the knowledge of the Scripture. Sounds simple. Uh, 2 Timothy, again, chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. Stunning passage when you slow it down and understand it. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. That's authenticity. And how from infancy... You have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Wow. How from infancy you have known the scriptures. Infancy? You know what we're, you know what we're told today? We're told infancy or, you know, very young children, they don't even have the attention span. All you can do with them, plop them in front of a screen and, you know, put a movie on or something. They don't even have the attention span to learn something like the Bible. Uh, so, you know, we, how many of us can really say, wow, from infancy, what was he? Some sort of child prodigy? He knew the scriptures from infancy, from being a young child? And here's the problem is that today we're told that our little kids won't be able to get it, but I see something very different in the scripture. There's nothing that indicates that Timothy was some sort of special uh, uh, wonder child that could all of a sudden understand the Bible when nobody else could. And if the stats are right today from the missiologists and that age is getting younger and younger, where, where kids can respond to the gospel message, then we as parents, and today moms, we need to be teaching our kids the scriptures while they are very young. You'd be surprised how they, they, they're like sponges and they grab it. Again, when I was at the conference, the, the, uh, the, it was actually the church planting coordinator for the nation now as the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada endeavors to reach a goal of 1,500 churches by the year, uh, by December 31st of the year 2020. And right now they're at 1,200. They need 300 more churches to be birthed in, you know, by the end of 2020. It's, a, it's a, wow, that's quite a goal. But anyway, he got up and he spoke a little bit and he talked about how he's on a ball hockey team, plays ball hockey with, you know, a bunch of guys and he's, of course, the pastor, and so they ask him all kinds of questions, all non-church people, not Christian people. And he, and he spoke to, to, the, to the conference and said, you know, uh, these, these men ask me, is Easter, that's when Jesus was born, or is that when Jesus died? And so he, he asks them questions back. He says, well, any of you ever been to church before? No. Any of you, your parents, been to church? No. What about your grandparents? Did they ever take you to church? 
No. <laughs> Three generations. No Bible knowledge whatsoever. Listen to me. There are people today who you are, are in, in, you're communicating with them every day. They do not know the account of creation from the book of Genesis. You tell them Noah's ark. They don't know it. Noah, who's Noah? You tell them Moses and the Exodus. Mo who? Is that a basketball player? Exodus from where? I don't know that story. You know, you talk to them, all these classic stories from the book of Genesis, you know, that you may have learned when you were a child, that is not happening today. We have people, even people in, in many of our churches, and these stories are foreign, and they do not know them. Much, and, and think about the non-churched person, zero exposure to the Bible, zero. Uh, we were watching last night in, in the youth as we're going through the Alpha uh, uh, film series, and they take, a, they take a microphone on the streets of different cities, and they ask people in the, in the, the media last night, uh, well, have you ever read the Bible? And so many of them, no, I've never opened it. Never. So moms, you have the opportunity to teach your infants. Yes, it says infancy the scripture. And today, we don't have uh, many excuses like we used to, because today we have all kinds of media that we can use to do this, and I'll get into that in a moment. Uh, but you see that Timothy had an incredible knowledge of the scripture, and he was greatly utilized in the scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. This is another mention of Timothy. You see him all over the place. Uh, he's in the book of Romans. He's in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He's in Philippians. He's in Colossians. He's in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Philemon, Hebrews. And you see as, you, as he's mentioned, again, you use your trusty concordance to see this. He, he, you see him grow over time. And you see that, that as Paul gets older, and as Paul is writing letters, he starts to include Timothy even in the greetings of those letters, as if Timothy is on equal authority with Paul. That's how much he respected Timothy, and that's how much he trusted Timothy. This man was a, a powerful leader in the church, even at a young age. And he says to, uh, to the Corinthians uh, in, a, in a warning, about the way that they're living and watching out for false teaching and so on and, and who they're following. He says, for this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love. Again, that's not biological. That's his spiritual son who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you, Corinthians, of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. So he trusted Timothy so much and believed in his knowledge of the scriptures so much. He said, if you see it in Timothy, you see it in me. He knows the scripture. He will show you the straight and narrow. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ. He will remind you of what I teach because the man knows the scripture. And, and he tells Timothy, again, uh, um, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, you knew it from infancy. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, isn't that the dad's job? Well, in Timothy's case, the dad had apparently no influence on his life in this area. 
because his father was a Greek, i.e. he was a Gentile, he was not a believer. And so the only time you see Timothy's father is in that mention in the book of Acts, that he was a Gentile. That's all you see of him. And yet you see this powerful influence of not only Peter's mother, but also Peter's grandmother. It stretched two, really through two generations. And this is how this young man absorbed and grasped the scriptures in his life. And he used those scriptures in his leadership all of his life. Pass to your children the knowledge of the scriptures. You say, how do I do that? I don't even know the scriptures myself. <laughs> because many moms, they say, well, you expect me to do that with a little kid? I'm still trying to figure it out myself, Pastor. If I'm being really honest, I don't know how to read the scriptures. I don't know half the scriptures. How does God expect me to do that when it'll be like the blind leading the blind, as it were? And, and how about this one? You know, because now you have the challenge of you've got different family situations to deal with. I know, I know our daughter, since elementary school, we noticed that in, in most of her classes, probably more than 50% of the kids are coming from homes where there's divorce, various kinds of breakdown in the family, two dads, two moms, three dads, four moms, you know, it's all over the place. And sometimes in these cases, and I've seen this in the church world, you've got one person who really wants to teach the scriptures to their child, but the other one, they're maybe divorced or separated or something. The other one's opposed to the scriptures. So it's like, how am I supposed to do that, God, in the 21st century? Well, we don't really have that many excuses anymore, to be honest. Because number one, you look at Timothy, he didn't have the influence of a godly dad. If he did, Paul didn't think to mention it. He seems to mention the godly mother, the godly grandmother, so they seem to be capable and they were women, by the way, seemed to be capable, very capable, to pass on the knowledge of the Scripture to young Timothy. Uh, but today, you know, 20 and a half centuries later, we have this marvelous tool of technology that we can use. If you put the last slide on the screen, you have these kinds of tools. And on the left side of the screen, that is the, the version app. It is the most popular application for reading the Bible probably in the world, Y-O-U version. You can download this on any platform. It's free. It's in, I think, a thousand languages. Now they've added video content to it, Bible reading plans, all kinds of explanations about the books of the Bible using video. You say, well, I don't know what's a Leviticus. How am I supposed to read this crazy book? It'll explain to you. This is what Leviticus is about. This is the whole structure of the book, blah, blah, blah. They'll give you everything, like almost like spoon feeding a baby. The technology that is in our hands today to understand the Word of God, it's like we have no excuse, and it's all on a little phone like this. Back in the day, we used to carry around these big bricks <laughs> to church, Right? We used to carry these bricks, and you know, the, the nerds like me would carry around other books and concordances and all of these things. Now we've got it all on a phone in color. You don't even have to read it anymore. You can listen to it with your little earphones in your ears. It's good. It's good. Hear the Bible, read the Bible, get the Bible into your mind and into your soul any way possible. 
and transfer it to your young, young, young children. They can understand it when they're two and three years old. Two and three years old. Uh, I'll never forget when, when, when Janet led our daughter Sarah to the Lord. She was like three years old. And she got it and she understood it like a sponge. Their minds are incredible at that age because they're just, just growing so, so fast. And they're able to grab these things. Timothy was able to grab it. And now you can have fun doing it. Even if you don't have a clue what you're doing, you sit down with your kid and you actually read the Bible. Oh, read it together with your kid. You'll both learn at the same time. And now the, the same company or organization has partnered with another one. Now they've got a Bible app for little kids. I'm talking about little, little, little kids with all the color and all the stories and all these things. And so little kids can actually grab onto these stories and start to learn them again because we're dealing now with a generation this generation Z that it is gone like they have no exposure to the scripture and now we can do it with them even when they are infants so we need to be doing those three things moms and you know dads as well you pass the knowledge of the scripture to your children even if you don't know it You'll learn as you go. I mean, I, I played with that little app with our daughter when she was young. And man, I was learning. I was looking at it. I said, wow, that, I never saw it that way before. You know, it's a little kid's Bible app. And it hel helped me see a story a little bit differently. And I'm supposed to be the one who knows the story. You can learn it together even if you don't know anything at all. Or maybe you're very new to Christianity Learn it together and watch how God blesses your life and your household. Pass to your children the knowledge of your scripture. Pass to your children on authentic faith and something that is transferable down generations.